And so this series is important to us. It's important to me. I've been writing it for, for quite some time. And so I wanted to begin with kind of the foundation of what's the point? And uh, what is the point of, of Triggered? And it kind of became a series that I wanted to talk about because I have been seeing the church uh, spend an awful lot of time apologizing for for the gospel before we even get to declare what the gospel even is. Like, hey, I'm sorry, this might be really, really offensive, but, well, why? Why are we so concerned that the gospel is exclusive, that the gospel... Uh, people that follow Jesus Christ have different uh, priorities. It's not anything that we ought to apologize for. We have different priorities in our life. And we can be so worried about being offensive. And this is from inside the church that we can actually become very defensive. So before we even begin to proclaim the truth of what Jesus Christ says, we spend about 20 minutes apologizing for what he said. And I just, I, that's not biblical. And so anything that is not biblical, I kind of get a little bit ruffled about. And so this is a, a series that I think is incredibly important because lately, I would say at least in the last uh, 10, 15 years, um, this has come to fruition. Why do we need a Savior if we can save ourselves? Why do we need truth if we can define truth ourselves? And if we can't define what the real truth of the gospel is, then you're going to have all kinds of people that are going to be able to whisper into your ears just a little bit different of versions of truth that sound good, um, but eventually we'll get further and further away from what the real truth is. And we are now kind of paying the consequences of a generation of not fully understanding of what the truth of the gospel is. So why talk about this? Why talk about truth, <laughs> sex, and politics? Now, this is by the end of the series, you're all going to get a pamphlet on how to vote. Um, this isn't going to be where you're all going to get a pamphlet on, on what to do in the bedroom. This is all about authority and all about how do we define our identity based off of what the truth of the gospel is. And if we can get that right, that will inform our opinion and biblical belief on sex and politics and all of those little things. So we're going to look at, and this is all built off of, uh, one singular text that's the foundation of this entire series. And I'm going to bring in other, other texts to support it, but it's actually... Um, something I don't think I've ever preached out of this book. I know I've preached, you know, verses out of this book, but I don't think I've ever really gone through it entirely. And it is 25 verses. The entire book of the, that we're going to be looking at is 25 verses, and this is the book of Jude. And Jude is fascinating to me because of who he is. Now, there are a lot of Judes running around your Bible. Shockingly, most of them were actually named Judas. Why do you think they all shortened their name? Okay? It's, it's similar to why there aren't a lot of Adolfs running around, right? When you, in, you are in that time frame, you go, ooh, I go by Jude now. 
okay, because of what Judas represented in that time. So actually, though, there's a lot of Judas, a lot of Judases, there's plenty of them. And Jude is, writes a, a letter. And again, 25 verses. And what it represents is this is uh, post-resurrection. Uh, he isn't a church leader in the early church, but for some reason, they go to him and say, hey, would you mind writing a letter to this uh, group of believers? He must carry some weight. And so in Jude chapter 1, he introduces himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Let's stay here for a second. All right, so who is this? Well, it's kind of an interesting way to open up your, your, your letter to this group as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Well, Jude and James, we know who they are out of the book of Mark and the book of Matthew. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus Christ. What does that make Jude? The brother of Jesus Christ. So Jude, in his opening to this group, defines himself not as, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, but as a servant of his brother. Now, if they're... Uh, this is kind of a back way, uh, back entry way to explain the truth of the gospel. But if you can convince your brother that you are the savior of the world, and he will then call himself your servant, uh, and in fact, the text, uh, some of your texts might say a slave of Jesus Christ. This word is a bond servant. It's doulos. It's the Greek word for uh, bond servant, which means I am going to work for you because you have paid a debt for me. Like indentured servant like we have today, like we would have in recent history. So Jude defines himself as a servant of his brother. Oh yeah, and I'm a brother of James, that guy. But Jesus... I am a servant of him. In verse 2, he says, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. We're only going to be in 3 and 4 today before we, we're going to kind of walk through this text together. But he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, and let's go to verse 3, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, they have secretly slipped in amongst you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Again, he's calling his brother our only sovereign and Lord. So the, the call is coming from inside the house. This is, there is an issue happening inside the house of God, and he is saying certain individuals have slipped in. They are a part of your fellowship, but they are perverting the grace. Meaning, hey, we, Jesus has to forgive us. Let's just do what we want to do. He has unlimited grace, and then we ask for forgiveness. They have come and secretly slipped in amongst you. They are ungodly people who have perverted the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality. I mean, let's just go for it. 
And he's saying, be careful because they are amongst you. So this series, this triggered series, isn't necessarily, uh, I'm not going to really be speaking to outside. The culture is going to do whatever the culture wants to do. I'm talking, there was a bird probably. If you are new to Eastridge. um, In September and October, um, it is murderer's row on these windows. Okay? So, just so you're aware, we're going to get through this together. <laughs> Whenever those birds start moving, it, it happens, okay? Um, they're normally just knocked out for a little bit and they walk away, okay? So, this, it's coming from inside the church. And that's what we're going to talk about is, if the church can't define the truth, then we have no business trying to proclaim the truth to the rest of the world. We need to be able to proclaim the truth to ourselves. So, so what, what is that? And it, it is a, our natural inclination to kind of fight what the truth is. And, and because it's, what do you believe? How do you know what truth is? Oh, that's fine. That's a little one. And how do you know what that is? It's it's all based off of the authority of Scripture. Is the text what it says it is? Is Jude really the brother of Christ, the bondservant, and he is proclaiming, hey, be careful. Be careful. Our natural human inclination is to reject that. Because we like to come along... After a few thousand years of Christian orthodoxy, of of theology and doctrine, and this is where I kind of get a little bit ruffled. I went long in the first service because of this. We have to get this right. Because if all of a sudden, after 2,000 years, we can say, hey, I got a better idea, then we're rejecting the authority of Scripture. And so this whole trigger warning thing is, yeah, the gospel is... Offensive. In fact, in a couple of weeks, and uh, we are going to be talking about. Um, I was watching some messages on, on from different pastors, all kind of all across the country and locally. And, and one of them, I won't say which one, um, gave a warning. He said, "Hey, trigger warning on this. We're going to be talking about evangelism today." And I went, "What? That's offensive now." Is sharing the gospel is offensive when that is Jesus's last words is saying, "Proclaim the good news." If we're going to lose that, I'm going to stand and fight for that. Because here's what's happening. And we're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 1. And, okay, let me, before I get into this. When we build messages, in the summer, I build messages so that you can kind of pop in and pop out. It's summer, go to the cabin, it's a nice day, we get it. So we try to be like in a singular text, Sermon on the Mount. You know, we were in two chapters this entire summer. In the fall, I'm going to need you to stick with me. Because there's going to be moments you go, uh, that makes me uncomfortable. Good. Trigger warning. The gospel should make you uncomfortable. If reading the Bible confirms everything that you've ever believed, eh, that's your Bible. The text should confront us and should hit us a little bit going, oh man, that is a tough thing to understand. It should. That's called conviction, and it's okay. That's God teaching us something. So in Romans 1, buckle in. This is Paul writing to 
this church, and he's in prison. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God, it is plain to them. They know. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen. You, you can see God in the midst of everything around us. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I have finally figured this out. I have deciphered biblical orthodoxy for 2,000 years and I think it's wrong and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles they worshipped other things therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Let's go back to verse 24. This gets us in trouble. Because not we can replace the sinful desires of sexual impurity, all of that for any other sin. Um, and we're going to talk about sex and all of that. But what we're going to talk about is this idea of God giving us over. Wait, what? Because <laughs> we get stuck on, hey, he's talking about sex. Okay. God gave us over to that? So here's what I want you to understand. This is where we're going to kind of, I'm going to try to give you a couple thousand years of biblical content in one. So here's how the Bible goes. God, we need you. Okay, cool. I'll be here. I will rescue you. I will save you. I will take you out of captivity. Great. I will set you up. Good. Okay, God, thank you for doing that. We don't need you anymore. We're going to do this on our own. Okay? Go nuts. We do that for a little while. We find ourselves in the consequences of our actions. And all of a sudden we say, God, we need you. And God, like a good father, says, okay, knock it off, but let's try this again. So there you have the Exodus, there you have the Babylonian captivity, there you have all of the kings, you have all of the, uh, the, the immorality and all of the things that are happening there. And what is occurring here is the basic premise of a child not listening to their dad. And dad saying at some point going, let's, maybe, my words aren't going to be enough. Maybe they need to feel the consequences of their actions. Have you ever been around a toddler? Maybe not a toddler, because they don't know. Let's say a solid seven-year-old boy. I have one of those. Okay? And, and the idea is, you say after so many times, don't climb that high. That's too high. 
I'm warning you. Okay, that is Genesis 3 to Malachi. Stop it. I'm warning you. Not, I'm going to rain light, but this will hurt you. You're going to get hurt. And we from the tree go, I know better. We fall. And who's the first person we run to? Dad, help. The dad comes over and says, let's patch you up. Somewhere along the way, dad gets to say, what did you learn? I should have listened. Cool. Five minutes later, where is he? He's back in the tree. That's our biblical truth. Now here's the lie. You don't need God. You can figure out your own truth. That tree is not high enough. You can climb. You can do whatever. You, there's no consequences to your actions. You are perfect in every way. You deserve every trophy. You deserve everything given to you. You deserve it all because you are um, wonderful and perfect. There's nothing. And God and fathers and parents, we all know. I love our kids, but we know. Without correction, without instruction, without um, a moment of, of us saying, hey, knock it off. That's going to hurt you. Or don't speak to them that way. Or, or treat one another with love and respect because there is something in us that will naturally run back to ourselves. And that is called pride. And there is an awful lot of pride happening all around us. And in this pride, we have determined that we are the masters of our own journey, that we don't need God whatsoever because pride, a lot of sins start with I. And so that's where we're going to be because then at some point it says God gave them over. God goes, let's let you play in the consequences of your actions. In fact, actually, this term is used in Exodus um, when Pharaoh's, his heart hardens against the Israelites. Um, a lot of people have some, there's a really fascinating use of words there. It's God saying, let's let Pharaoh be Pharaoh. There's a certain point where he says, let's let Tom be Tom. And so unless we understand that we need God and we need access to, uh, through God, through Jesus to God, then we don't need a Savior. So we have to be foundational truth. The truth is we need a rescue. Our natural inclination is to act like we don't. And I think all of us at a certain point can admit for the past, I don't know how many number of years will we have looked at a generation and say, you are perfect, you are wonderful, there's nothing that's ever been wrong with you whatsoever. Then at that point, the people in the community and the world will go, well, why do I need Jesus? It's a good point. We need Jesus because we need a Savior. I'm not saying you're all wretched, mud, you know, blocks of junk, okay? But what I am saying is we're not perfect. 
And the only way that we can gain access to the Father is through perfection. And, and you can't do that through sheer will or through the 613 Levitical laws. You can only gain access to that through a perfect Savior. And until we're willing to define that, that's the truth. Through that Savior, we gain access. He is our mediator. He is the sacrifice. Anybody triggered? Because that's offensive. What's offensive is saying, hey kids, maybe we don't have it all figured out. I know I don't. I thank God that social media did not exist when I was a child. Who would be employable if 15-year-old you was on the internet? Okay. We got to take care of our kids. We got to teach them the truth. And we can't send them off into the world and saying, good luck. Without any fences or consequences or something to build a house on. So you got to stick with me because this is going to get worse. Okay? We're going to talk about sex and politics. And we're not, again, no voter's guide, no images or pictures, no instructional guides, okay? What you're going to get is biblical authority and biblical truth and biblical justice and what does the Bible say about this and how should I feel about this? So if you want to track along with me, this is the easiest sermon ever to track along the text that we will be using. Read the book of Jude. You got 25 verses. I already did four of them, okay? Next weekend, we're going to be in, in, in five through at probably eight or nine. And track along. It is a fascinating look into a couple thousand years later that Jude is speaking directly to us. And I hope you can join us for that. And the team comes up. I'm going to explain something. Here at East Ridge, we're going to celebrate communion today as, as a congregation. And we celebrate what's called open communion and that is, um, you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be a believer in Christ. And we're going to come up and take the elements. Um, and you can take them back to your seats. This might be a good opportunity to say this. I went long the first service. I can go long in this one. Um, this is going to take a while because of how large our crowds are becoming. And um, so please be patient with us, as, especially in the parking lot. Um, I've, I've asked all paid staff to park way far away now, um, which is an awesome, awesome issue to have. And uh, so just be patient with us as we're kind of working through the timing of communion used to take four and a half minutes. It doesn't do that anymore. Um, so just be patient with us as we do that. I'm going to pray with you um, this morning. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather around your table. As you gathered there with Judas, who would betray you, Peter, who would deny you, and you washed the feet and served them. And through that act of sacrifice and service, they now call themselves servants of you. And so, Lord, may we, with humility and mercy, approach this table and just say thank you for including us. While we were still yet sinners, you searched us and you scanned the horizon looking for us. And as we came home, you ran to us. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.